Our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Katie, it's really because of you that I chose to do a message series, even though I wasn't quite sure how many Sundays I would be here, or whether I'd even get a chance to finish it. But I thought on a Sunday when we would install you as, quote, another leader in the church, it might be good to talk about what it means to be a Christian leader. And so today I'm going to start what amounts to being a six-part message series called Leadership Rising. And the series about is about how we as Christ followers, how we as Christians make can make life better for everybody else around us, and in doing so, make our own lives fulfilling and meaningful. Now, at the outset, I want you to understand something. When I use the word leader, I am not talking about just the pastor of a church or a director of Christian education. In fact, I'm not excluding any one of you that's here today when I use that word. Because we should all know that in the name of Jesus, we have all been called to be leaders, whether we are leaders in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our church, or in the world. So no one gets out of this, okay? We're all leaders in the name of Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you that even though I've been in a leadership position for pretty close to 50 years, counting teaching and pastoring, I was at one time pretty turned off by the idea of leadership because I had kind of an inaccurate idea of what leaders were and what leaders do. Now, one idea of leader that I developed kind of early in life was what I would call a schmoozer. You all know what a schmoozer is? This is that kind of slick-talking, used car salesman kind of guy who uh, tries to get you to do Uh, you know, what he wants you to do, whether you want to do it or not. Uh, This guy is a a manipulator. Uh, He plays with people's emotions. He tries to figure out what buttons to push and then pushes those buttons. And this is the kind of guy that when he uses this phrase, it's a win-win situation, it usually means he wins both times. So some of you know who these schmoozers are. Well, there was another false idea I had about leadership a long time ago, and that was the idea of a leader as being kind of a bully or a tyrant. And you kind of see this kind of leadership in places, too. This is the kind of person who de- demands too much from other people. Often they demand far more than people are actually capable of doing. Uh, for them, no job is ever satisfactory. You'll never hear job well done from these people. No amount of human effort will ever satisfy Those kind of people. Now, the truth is that every last one of you, since I already included you all in leaders, guess what? All of us have practiced one of those two styles at different times to some extent in our life. There have been times when we have been the schmoozers, and there are some times when we have been kind of the tyrant. Now, every leader, again, I'm talking to you, Christ followers, who aren't intentional or principled about your leadership, can tend to kind of veer off into one of those directions from time to time. It's for that reason I want to talk about what God's Word has to say about this for six weeks. And today we're going to look at a Christian leader as a servant. And I want you to understand, Katie, I'm not speaking just to you today and saying, I'm going to kind of beat you over the head that you need to serve and serve and serve. It's more than that, but just to remind all of us, That as leaders, wherever God has chosen to plant us, we are called to serve other people. 
And we are going to follow the greatest leader of them all. In fact, he was the greatest servant of them all. You all know who I'm talking about, right? We're talking about Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I can't think of any greater service that anyone could do than to lay down his life, not just for one person, but for the entire world. Now, in the same way as disciples of Jesus, we are called to serve and to give our lives to the glory of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, I want to talk this morning briefly about three areas in which we are all called to serve. And here's the first one. Leaders serve everyone in their path. Now, Albert Schweitzer, and you'll see, I think he's got a picture of him up here, once said, wherever a man turns, he can find someone who needs him. Now, what Albert Schweitzer was really saying was this. Our lives are filled with one opportunity after another to serve someone else to do something good for someone else, and as Christians, to do something else for someone in the name of Jesus. Now, a couple of years ago, at the previous church I was pastoring, uh, I met with a friend of mine at his place of work one day, and when I sat down, he asked me a question that even to this day I can't stop thinking about. Uh, Now, usually when you stop in at somebody's office, they say something like, what can I do for you? And what can I do for you usually means, why are you using up my precious time and how much time will it take to get you out of here? But uh, Scott always asks a different question. Uh, He always asks this question, hi, how can I serve you today? That's a little bit disarming. You know, how can I serve you today? And after our meeting that day, I I kept thinking about what he had to say. And and I realized that it's, it's more than just a difference in semantics. I realized that this is what Scott did all the time. He was in the service business. Now, he's the kind of guy that, honestly, I never heard Scott ever complain. I don't remember ever hearing him talking about a problem, except with those people who were somehow involved in that problem. Uh, The only thing I ever really saw him do was to serve other people. And this guy had a heart for young people and their parents. Now, in his place of business, he generally had about 30 employees, depending upon the season of the year. And one of them once told me that in every team meeting that he ever had, he would ask the same questions. He would say, how can I serve you better? What can I do to make your job more effective? How can we better serve the people that we're working for? Now, Many bosses and many team leaders and many coaches and many parents actually kind of do the exact opposite. They kind of approach their leadership position, whether it be at home or wherever, as kind of the king of the castle mentality. Like that old Archie Bunker attitude, eat it, get me a beer. You know, it's kind of that step-and-fetch-it mentality, or I'm the top dog, and you're here to do my bidding. But Jesus says, uh, hold it, that's not the way Christ followers do things. Leadership is really all about being a servant. He said again, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now, to all of you that here are parents, guess what? That's Jesus' approach 
to leading your family. For any of you that find yourself in a kind of a boss's position, guess what? That's the Jesus approach to running your business. To you who are members of this church, guess what? This is the Jesus approach to doing ministry. And Katie, guess what? Along with the other members of the church staff, this is the Jesus approach for your calling at First Lutheran. And that is you're going to serve other people. Your job, my job, all of our jobs is to serve. Now, what does that mean? That's a good Lutheran question. What does this mean? Well, it means that you give people what they need most in order for them to do what God has called them to do. Now, your job is not to be served by those people you lead. Your job is to serve them, to minister to them. Somebody asked me one time, you know, what do you really consider your job to be? And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. My job as a pastor is probably a whole lot different than what the people in my church think it should be. You know, because a lot of people think, well, you hire a pastor and the pastor will now do all this stuff that you don't want to do. They'll hire a DCE so that she can do what we don't want to do. That's kind of the attitude sometimes. Not in this church, by the way. Maybe. But they said, well, if if that's not what you're doing, what is it you do? And I said, I've always viewed my job as exactly the way the book of Ephesians talks about. My job is to equip them, empower them, and encourage them to do works of service. I still remember one time preaching about the Great Commission in a church, and a guy came up to me afterwards. He said, did I get this right, that you expect us to go out to, um, to evangelize other people? And I said, yeah. He said, well, then what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to equip and encourage you to do that. He said, well, I know that, but what are you going to do? Well, I kind of pulled the old George Bush line out and read my lips. I'm here to equip, encourage, and empower you to do these things. That's part of your calling. Here's the second thing leaders do. Leaders serve the situation at hand. Uh, Thomas Carlyle said, Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. In other words, leaders kind of know how to ask and answer questions like, What does this situation require of me? How can I best serve this situation? Now, I've spoken at a few leadership conferences in my day, and some people have asked me. In fact, I had a young man who wanted to be a pastor. He was at the seminary at St. Louis. And he said, he asked me, he said, Dr. Cole, what kind of leadership style should I try to emulate? Should I be a visionary leader, a strategic leader, a managing leader, a motivational leader, a team builder, a bridge builder, an entrepreneur? What kind of leader should I be? My answer was, Yes. (laughs) You should really be all of those for whatever the situation calls for. I mean, honest to goodness, leaders do not go around saying, I have this one leadership style, I'm going to walk around until I can find some place where I can plug this in. That's pretty dangerous, actually. What you do is you step up to whatever situation is there, and you apply whatever leadership principles are needed to get the matter taken care of. 
I don't care whether you're looking at your children in your home or whether you're, as a pastor, looking at people in your church or if you're a boss in your business, wherever you might be. Now, some of you know Ken Blanchard. There's a book I had to read going through my MBA studies. He wrote The One-Minute Manager. He said, there is no single best style of leadership. Effective leadership, he said, is task-relevant. The most successful leaders are those that adapt their leadership style to the individuals they are working with or the task that needs to be accomplished. Now, that's a secular guy. Can we prove that biblically? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, in Mark chapter 2, great story in the Bible. Uh, got four guys who had this great idea that they should bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they were bringing this paralyzed friend to Jesus. Why? Hoping that he would be healed. But when they got there, the place was so packed where Jesus was teaching. The room was full. The crowds were hanging in the windows and the doors. No way to get in. So what do they do? They take charge of the situation, climb up on the top of the house, and they cut a hole in the roof and lower their friend down into the room right in front of Jesus. Now, think of how many other people were there that day who wanted to see Jesus and maybe who really needed to see Jesus. But when the crowd or the situation got in their way, they decided to do what? Absolutely nothing. And friends, let's all be honest here. There are times when it is tempting to do nothing. It's tempting to pretend that you didn't see anything you didn't hear anything, and you just figured somebody else is going to take care of it. But leaders, whether you're moms and dads or pastors and DCEs or whether you're bosses or whatever you are, you cannot live on excuses or ignore problems. You just can't let a situation fester. Now, Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, we could plug all kinds of things into that passage. Make the most of every opportunity. What opportunity? Well, the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to lead, the opportunity to witness, the opportunity to love, the opportunity to forgive, whatever opportunity it is. But don't miss those things. Somewhere I read that leaders seize the moment and then leaders serve the moment. They ask, what does this situation call for me to do right now? And as Christians, we say, what does this situation now call me as a Christian to do that will further the kingdom of God, whether in this person's life or just in general? See, in the name of Jesus, leaders just do it. Now, there's a third thing, and that's that leaders serve the main thing. Uh, in other words, they got their priorities straight. Now, I don't remember if I got this guy's picture up here or not, but it's Rex Ryan. He's the uh, no backup one. We'll get to this guy in a little bit. But Rex Ryan, some of you know he's the football coach of the New York Jets. He is known as a player's coach. Now, I don't know if you know what a player's coach means. It's just that I mean, he brags all the time about how people really want to play for the New York Jets because they are such a player-oriented team. Now, he might be right because it appears that a lot of his players really enjoyed playing for him. The problem is, anybody know what the problem is? The Jets aren't winning that many football games. Now, he can talk about the greatest morale in the locker room. He can talk about a great week of practice. But if that professional football team is not winning on Sunday afternoons or on Monday night, 
they have lost sight of the main thing. Now, we say keep the main thing the main thing in professional sports. You know what that means. It means to win games or you're gone. Now, again, let's think of ourselves, Christian leaders. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. For a sports team, what? Win games. For a business, turn a profit. But let me ask you this. What's the goal for a Christian family? What is the main thing? If you're going to keep the main thing, the main thing in a Christian family, what is the goal? Now, most of us know what a a winning team or a winning business looks like, but what does a winning family look like? Oh, clean rooms, right? Clean rooms, spotless rooms. The nicest of clothes. The most up-to-date set of toys, gadgets, phones, iPads, iPods, U-pads, U-pods, all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the best schools and, you know, uh, and straight A's and honor roll and uh, outstanding athlete of the year. But let me ask you, honestly, is that what tops the list of what you really desire for your children? There's a recent poll out asked of parents. And I could not believe it, but less than half of the people polled said to have strong Christian values was important to them. It was more important that they looked good or smelled good or or all kinds of other things, but their faith and values were way down the list, and I find that sad. I wouldn't want to be on that losing team. Let me ask this question. Uh, What about the church? What's our goal here? What's our goal here? Now, what does a winning church look like? Well, um, balanced budget. We ought to have more money in the bank than we've spent. Uh, It ought to be a nice building, uh, a full building, uh, lots of activities, uh, baptizing eight to ten babies every week. And, you know, well, okay, those things are really nice. But do they top the list of what God wants in his church? See, great leaders know what's important in their areas of leadership, what's most important. Now we can go to this next guy, Stephen Covey. Uh, Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. See, a leader makes sure that the most important things get put on the list and then gets them done. He tells a story in his book about keeping priorities straight. It's kind of an interesting story. He said there was a leader at a seminar who put an uh, empty, wide-mouthed gallon jar in front of everybody, and he put in as many big rocks as he could in that jar, and then he asked everybody, is this jar full? And they all said, yeah. Well, then he got some gravel out and poured the gravel in there and shook the jar, <laughs> and then he said, okay, is the jar full now? And um, well, they were kind of catching on, and uh, most people said, well, Probably not. Well, then he got out a bucket of sand, and he poured the sand in there and shook it down to that whole bucket of sand in there. And and he said, now, is it full? By this time, they learned their lesson. And they they said, no, it's not. He says, you're right. And he got out a bucket of water and poured that bucket of water in there. Then he asked this question. What's the point of what I just showed you? How would you answer that? What's the point of that? 
Well, somebody said, well, there are gaps in our life, and if we really work hard at it, we can always fit more into our life. And the leader said, wrong. That's not the point. The point is this, if you haven't got those big rocks in there in the first place, you'll never, ever get them in there. See, that's what leaders do. They start with the big stuff. They don't fill up a whole list of to-do appetizers. Uh, They start by serving the main course, the most important menu. Now, let me ask you this. What is the main course that ought to be served in the church, in the communities, in your family, in your schools, or in your place of business? What's the main course? Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6:33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know something? It's very tempting for a leader. I'll tell you, it's very tempting for a pastor. It'd probably be very tempting for a DCE to fill up everybody's schedule as full as you can with sand and gravel and water. But those things are just filler. The main thing for a leader in your families, in the church, in this world, is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's always to do the big stuff first. Now, I think back, you know, Nancy and I were privileged to raise two children. They've turned out pretty good. We're happy about that. We're thankful for that. We've been privileged to be pseudo-parents, although grandparents, for a grandson, who's turned out pretty good, too, by the grace of God. You know, sometimes when you step back as a parent or a grandparent, or some of you as godparents now and sponsors for this little one, and and Jeff and Lacey, as you think about what you're going to do someday as Christian leaders in your family, you know, Katie, as you do it as a DC or whatever, you know... What are you going to do? Well, there's really three things we're called to do, and that's one, one of them is just to serve people in the name of Jesus, to serve the situation at hand, and to serve the top priority, and that's kingdom building. See, godly leaders, all of us need to get in the habit of asking ourselves throughout the day with every encounter, what does this person need from me? What does my child need from me? What does my husband or wife need from me? What does this situation require of me? What am I doing in my quest for the top priorities of seeking first the kingdom of God. And friends, let's always remember that Jesus came to serve. And he calls us to follow his example. And he calls every one of us in every facet of life to be ministers of the word in our families, in our homes, in our places of business, our schools, our communities, everywhere. And as we serve, we keep the main thing The main thing, by doing what? By offering grace and mercy and peace and love and forgiveness, and most of all, offering them Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for calling us in your family. We give you thanks and praise also for taking into your family today, Tyler, through holy baptism. And we pray that you continue to grow the faith that you planted in his heart to encourage him to grow up to be 
a godly servant as well. And we pray for his mom and dad and for those who surround him with love. And Lord, we also pray today and ask that you be with Katie. And we're so very thankful that you've led her to this place and that you've equipped and encouraged her in so many different ways to be a leader. And we pray that she continues to equip and encourage other people to do godly works of service. And Lord, also we pray for Pastor Darren Anderson and his wife Sherry, who we've called to be the new pastor here at First Lutheran Church. We pray that you guide their hearts, too, as they are giving prayerful consideration to this call. We pray that you give them safe travel this week as they come to visit. May their time be beneficial and an opportunity for them to learn more about us. And, Lord, for many other things, we come and we ask for your prayers gathering together in the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father.